This is the Car Dealer Podcast driven by CarGurus. You want the best return for your advertising budgets and CarGurus Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Welcome back to the Car Dealer Podcast. If you haven't listened before, we pick our favourite stories of the week and ask an industry guest to choose whose stories were best. Welcome back to John Ray from Car Dealer, who will be choosing the stories with me today. How are you, John? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Good. And this week's guest judge is none other than Will Blackshaw, Managing Director of Blackshaws. How are you finding things at the moment, Will? Um, surprisingly well, actually. Um, January, February was a little bit slow for us, um, but we put quite a bit of work in back end of last year, trying to uh, build up a bit of an order bank for, for new stock, which was uh, with the stock traditionally that we sell has always been selling from physical. Um, so to try and build up a, a future order bank on, on new stock, uh, took a little bit of a mindset change with the guys, um, but we made a few changes to the website as well um, with the new offers. Um, working with the more dynamic calcs as opposed to just a finance example. That seems to have paid off. So we managed to see a little bit of new stock and it felt like a real march again for the first time since what would have been 2020, wasn't it? Um, if not 2019, because we, we lost a bit of March. So a lot of panic and, and a lot of stress finishing the, the quarter yesterday, which was nice in one respect to, to have that little buzz again. So no, all good, all good. Mm-hmm. And so you've not had much problem with getting stock in with your brands? Yeah, we, we, we have, to be honest. Uh, it hasn't been plain sailing. We weren't getting the volumes that traditionally we've had. Um, but as I say, because we put the work in sort of building up the order bank um, back end of last year, bits have been dripping through. So as I say, not getting the volume tr- that we traditionally got, but uh, I think we got our, our fair slice of the cake by putting the effort in. Hmm. I saw your um, post this morning about possibly limited supply on the D-Max, the new one, which nearly caught me out. But I think that was the only April Fool today that I thought was actually any good. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's been some some poor efforts. Um, but um, no, um, you always look out for them, don't you, on April the 1st. And you're always tempted to try one yourself, but you're always cautious that it might backfire. So um, I tell to bother, to be honest, just share, share the ones that I like. Hmm. Yeah. So um, obviously today, April 1st, but it's also the day that a lot of consumers are seeing their energy prices and all this sort of stuff go up. So are you feeling anything out there of customers sort of a bit more cautious at the moment? Yeah, we've definitely seen a little bit of a drop off towards the back end. But also, I think there is also this period you always find as well. Uh, I think we go into Easter break mode a little bit as, as, as uh, consumers and start planning mm. weekends and train plan holidays, which... Obviously, we haven't had the luxury of the last few few years, but the web traffic's always our sort of barometer, uh, and it, it has slowed down a little bit over the last week. Um, from a business point of view, we haven't felt the pain yet of the big bills, but sadly, I think we all know they're coming. Um, quite a few years ago, we invested in solar panels, which has always sort of kept this um, sort of balance for what we spend uh, versus what we generate, because we're on an older tariff where we sell our 
what we generate back, we don't use it. Um, but I think that's finally going to sort of obviously go the other way. Uh, but there's definitely a, a slowdown in, in in sort of consumer interest, should we say. Uh, but I think it's a mixture of things, not just the, the cost of living. Mm. Um, so we'll get on with the quiz because I think we'll be able to talk about some more of this stuff as we go on. If you've never listened before, this is how the quiz works. John and I have both chosen our five favourite stories of the week that have appeared on Car Dealer, and we don't know what each other have chosen. We're going to take it in turns to reveal our stories, and at the end, our judge will will have the final say on who is the winner. However, if you're listening on Spotify, you can um, swipe up at the end and vote for who you think should have won as well. So I lost last time, so I'm just going to hand over to John and let him go first. Uh, well, I'm doing this a little bit on the hoof, um, as usual. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to start with a not very dealery story, but something that was quite interesting to me, was the suggestion that Tesla are going to open their supercharger network to all drivers, quote unquote, within weeks, which I thought was quite interesting because as, you know, if I was a Tesla owner, apart from all the, you know, fancy screens and all that and fun things that they do, the supercharger network is like a big part of why you'd have a Tesla over anything else. So I sort of think they might have shot themselves in the foot by doing this. But I don't know what your thoughts are. Well, I was just going to say, they're so busy anyway now. Mm. I don't, well, I know that's only in certain places, but you see loads of pictures where the banks of them are all full up. And I think, how much benefit is that actually going to be? There's going to be lots of excited drivers going to use Tesla superchargers instead. And They'll just be overrun, surely. Mm, I would have thought so. I mean, on the flip side, it is it is a good thing because, um, you know, if you really are stuck driving your MG or your Nissan or whatever, and there mm. is really no other charging solution, at least you can go and use one of those. Or maybe not your Nissan because they're all Chatham, aren't they? Um, but hmm, I thought it was an interesting development and one I did not see mm. coming. Well, you obviously have MG now, don't you? Right. Are you seeing a lot of um, a lot of popularity for the electric cars? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it is a hot topic, and obviously the price of fuels probably indicate well influence a few more people to start showing interest in that. Um, we usually carry a few used electric cars, but literally we've got zero stock at the minute of them because as soon as they're coming in, they are going straight back out now. Um, but wow. I think you're right; it's a, it's a great story and. It's frustrating to because obviously we're trying to sell these electric cars, and obviously the two main questions is um, where can I charge them? Uh, what's the range from a range anxiety? Which I do feel that's settled now. You know these talks of you know I don't know what every product does, but yeah, sort of expectations now is two hundred to two hundred fifty mile. I guess is probably the expectation of what an electric car will do. So I think we've kind of ticked that box. Um, I think people are a little bit more sort of warm to the idea that, look, if I do need to go long distance, um, I'm not too concerned because I can stop here, there. But now it, it's probably charger availability uh, anxiety. And I went to collect an electric car from Western Supermare a, a little while back. Obviously, I'm North Northumberland. I can't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but I'm guessing 250, 300 mile commute. Um, and I managed to stop at a service station. There was one available, plugged it in, had my burger, had to wait another sort of 15, 20 minutes. I think it cost me maybe about eight, eight pounds to charge. Um, got home, 20, 30 miles to spend. I thought, that's absolutely fantastic. 
But then you start sort of thinking, well, what happens if two other three people went to charge? What happens if that charger wasn't available? I could have, you know, the whole journey could have been flipped on its head. So back to my original point there, it's just frustrating when you do stop at service stations and you see these Tesla charge points, plus they look, they look very smart compared to these mm. other big boxes, you know, this big red, shiny, futuristic thing. And you just think, why can't we just adapt them? And, you know, I don't know how it all works in the background from a funding point of view, who pays for them uh, to be initially installed. I'm guessing Tesla paid for them to start with, but mm. there's charge plugs there. And if they can make sort of uh, extra money off the back of it, why not? And I think it just gives the whole whole net, uh, sort of industry confidence going forward. So I, I welcome it um, because that's what we need. We need lots of chargers and being readily available if this is going to really, really work properly. Mm. Mm. I have to say, I've just handed back my lovely Mazda MX-30 long-termer, which I had from March last year to March this year. And the change in the amount of people, even in the last 12 months, you see at charge points has just gone up exponentially. It seems to have to me, you know, when I was driving it around last year, I would pretty much be guaranteed a, you know, I, ne I never had to queue a year ago. And in the last few months, I've gone to a lot of places where, particularly where there's banks of about four or six chargers, people understand that there are more chargers there and will go, okay, this is a safe place to go. But as a result, you end up with 10 people waiting for four chargers yeah. or whatever. So, yeah, I think it is a good thing. I wonder when we're actually going to hear from Tesla if it's actually going to happen. Yes, we should say this is, this is a, a, a government minister has suggested yeah. this within weeks, but Tesla have not said otherwise. However... They uh, have opened up their network in France, I think, and certain oh, they? spots in France and the Netherlands and places like that. I think it was their quieter sort of... I know they did in Poland or something for the Ukraine, but yeah. Mm. I'd love to know how it actually works, because obviously at the moment, if you're a Tesla driver, you just plug in and it knows it's your car. Mm. Um, so I assume you'd need like an app or something for it to work with. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, um, shall I go for my first story? Go on. I can't really decide what to choose because I have an EV one, but I'm going to save it for later because I want to talk about this one first, um, which is Tom Hartley Jr.'s profits or his uh, results came out this week, um, which I don't usually like to talk about the um, the result stories because they're slightly boring. But this I thought was quite interesting because his profits fell from um, 8.72 million to 6.53 million. But this was despite sales increasing by 19 percent. And um, said in the story that this was put down to one expensive car that was sold in 2020 is what pushed its sales up by 19%. And I can't take credit for this. So I, well, I don't want to take credit for this in case the maths is wrong. But I just read online, someone had worked out that for he'd sold 109 cars in the year to make that money. And it averaged, uh, I think it was £61,000 profit per car. And I just think like supercar businesses are just so wildly far away. <laughs> I could just can't even imagine being able to make that much money off one car. I assume that's the sort of money you're making, though, Will. Mm. Uh, yeah. Almost, almost. I'm, I'm getting close. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair play to them. Um, but yeah, I'm not as I'm, I'm not into supercars. It's not our forte. To be honest, I, in a per, from a personal point of view, it's not my cup of tea. Um, but you, I think you're very brave um, buying that sort of product. You've got to know what you're doing. So it, it's risk for reward in my opinion. So obviously they're taking risks when they're buying these vehicles and they deserve the reward for, for doing it. So um, fair play to them. It's uh, The website looks fantastic. You obviously have a look from time to time. 
Uh, the products look fantastic, and uh, no, I take my hat off to them. Uh, well played, well played, yeah. fair play. I don't think it's um, it's an easy job at all. He's got something like twenty million pounds worth of stock that he's paying for, and you think, oh, that's quite a lot of risk, isn't it? If it doesn't work out, yeah, do you know what you think, John? No, I think so. Um, I mean, I'd be so, just so I've got my head around this. I must admit, I haven't read it. Um, the previous profit down to one particular car. So it has one particular car yeah. two years ago earned them a million, two million or something. A couple of million. Yeah, I was trying to think like what could that have been? But I suppose there's only a handful of cars that could have been. Yeah, it's mad. I think, really. I, I think our closest supercar in that terms has probably been the Suzuki Jimny when we've had the odd second hand. <laughs> yeah, they're basically it's probably the same, as close as we got to that. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't Suzuki Jimnys just worth their weight in gold now? Yeah, like we, we, we lost a bit of interest in them um, from, again, just going off web stats and interests. Uh, but then we had one come in. Uh, we managed to secure a used one very recently. Within three days, it was gone again with a, I wouldn't say a ginormous profit, but a, what I'd describe as a fair profit for the vehicle. So um, just funny little funny little thing in the old industry that you find little, little wins like that from time to time. Are you sort of phoning existing customers and saying, please, can we have your chimney? Will give you um not really to be honest because um as i said we sort of try and monitor what people are looking at on our website as a bit of a barometer for um what we should be stocking and you know especially over the something we've had to do more recently uh with you know the switch of interest to electric um being in rural northumberland diesel still does have its place and uh, so we've got to kind of sort of work out sort of predict what's going to be the interest in sort of three four months time um but Jimny hasn't had the popularity that we were seeing, what, two years ago. So, again, back to risk for reward. Do you want to invest your money in, in one Jimny or go out and buy a couple of smaller Suzuki Swiss, for example, which is, you know, what our marketplace is. But, you know, we got the opportunity this one. It looked good, took it took, took it, and just sold via the internet, to be honest. Um, so a quick win, but not something we'd probably actively go out to try to source. Yeah, it's interesting because there was one, well, there was two for sale near us. I think it was at Sparshats and it was up, they were up for like nearly £30,000 each. Mm. And they sat around for a while, but I think they've gone now. And it is one of those things where you think, how much is that costing you that just sat around? Is it is it going to pay off in the end that someone's going to pay enough for it? And probably did. Yeah. John, what's your next story? Uh, right. I'm Are you just go choosing them from the website as you go? Uh, no, I've I've got some open in tabs. I did it five minutes before started, so that's my level of preparation. Here. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go to our exclusive interview. Well, it's not an exclusive interview. Our interview, an exclusive story uh, by James Batchelor with Nissan UK's boss, Andrew Humberstone. Um, and there's quite a few interesting little bits in this. He's been uh, managing director since January 2020, which, of course, is a great time to become managing director of any company in the UK because you had about two months and then it all went a bit tits up, didn't it? Um, but it's an interesting read because um, it was it was at Nissan's uh, live showroom in Watford, which sounds a bit less exciting when you say it's in Watford. But basically, it's like a virtual showroom um, where customers can be shown around the car. I can't remember what time of day it is. I think it's from about 10 a.m. to 11 p.m. or something. So you can sit in the comfort of your home and have someone walk you around an Aria or a Qashqai Relief. 
or whatever they've got in there at the time. And you can have be shown around this car and not have any sort of sales pitch. It's just purely information, like a kind of genius bar in the Apple store, um, which is quite an interesting concept. And it was, it was interesting to uh, have it all explained because I happen to go along with batch text and photos. Um, and they're, so, they're saying it's not a replacement for a dealership, but it's sort of an extra added thing. You know, so you might, because people want to go into dealerships fully clued up, they can do this kind of live thing on the internet and go in with all the information they need and then do the bit in the dealership, sort the deal out, and then that's it. Don't have to have any salesy stuff. The other interesting element is um, he sort of, well, firstly, he, he didn't want to talk too much about agency sales because nobody does want to talk about agency sales. Um but their kind of model for the future is bigger dealerships in fewer locations is what he seemed to be hinting at, um, which I'm not entirely convinced that is a brilliant way to go, to be honest, because a lot, you know, so many people rely on your local dealer and being able to just wander down there and chat to people you know. And then as soon as these sort of places disappear off 30 miles away, I think you start to lose the personal touch. But I don't know what everyone here thinks of that. I mean, Will, you were a Nissan dealer, weren't you, until a few yeah, years? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, about two years ago, we, we finished with them. Um, the way the CI developments were going and uh, cost for us to, to con continue with that, uh, it just sadly just didn't stack up for us financially. Uh, however, we've continued as an approved repairer. Uh, but I think sort of compliments to, to Nissan, um, it, I think the other thing that I don't think the story mentioned from memory was uh, their results in the NFDA, which has increased um, over the last few years. So, you know, it's always tough to keep us dealers happy because we're never happy unless we make lots of money. So, um, you know, fair play again to, to Andrew and, uh, and the Nissan team for, for driving them scores up, which, you know, isn't easy, as I just said. Um, but uh, this whole digital thing, uh, you know, I think we're all trying to reinvent things and, I just always think it comes back to having the ability for a customer to touch, feel, and, and see the products. So where it all ends up in the future, I, I honestly don't know. Agency sales obviously is becoming more of a, a mentioned word, uh, which is another conversation altogether. But like, I'll enjoy technology. I like that sort of stuff. But from our our experience, like uh, with the lockdowns, we we sort of pushed the have a Zoom or a, a Teams call with our guys. Put a lot of training in, made quiet rooms with locks on so that it could be done professionally. And I think we've had one request in two years for a Zoom call, uh, which sort of just highlights people want to come and touch and feel. And again, we're very rural Northumberland. Um, I don't know if it's a, a demographic thing that would would sort of influence that differently. Like Central London, to pop to your local store, it's probably an hour's drive, whereas mm. for most people it's probably half an hour drive. So, and again, because we've been locked up for so long. I think any excuse to go anywhere and do anything people tend tend to do um, like we have advertised delivery and people are driving long distances to collect cars and you think but we'll deliver it no no it's fine i'll come and collect it and it just you know makes it life a bit easier for us don't get us wrong but how far it'll go i just i just don't know but i don't think people will ever not want to be able to touch and feel a, a vehicle mm. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. The um, the thing I found interesting about the um, live showroom was the fact that 
you could use it after you'd bought a car or something to say, oh, can you show me how to set up my Bluetooth because I bought a cash car and I can't remember how to do it. And those sort of things. I wonder, actually, what's the benefit to a dealer of a customer coming in afterwards? And I guess mainly building that relationship. But also, I just that there are little things. I mean, I love I love web chat for anything because sometimes you're trying to find something out online and it's just not obvious mm. and I sort of looked at the live showroom thing and thought oh, I mean I can see how this could be a bit of a step forward from web chat to be able to go can you just tell me what um this like really specific weird thing that I'm looking at can you just show that to me on the car before I make a decision so I can see its benefits but yeah I do think people really want to come in um I think yeah. they probably do I mean the one one good thing about it of course is that they're sort of it's, it's much less of a commitment to, I mean, there is still an element of commitment because you say, right, I assume you book and your slot is 8 p.m. or something. Mm. Um, you've committed to that time, but it's it's less effort than going all the way to a dealership, which can be slightly intimidating for some people. And then once you've had that kind of walk around, you're sort of, I don't want to say like pre-qualified, but you're sort of, that customer is definitely vaguely interested in the car at least um and mm. then they can be gently suggested that you know we can book you an appointment at the local dealer or something so i suppose it's a if you look at it as another route into the sale it's quite an interesting idea they get your data <laughs> that's all they want <laughs> a little bit i look at everything and think you just want my data don't you <laughs> much better way we'll be right back you want the best return from your advertising budget and CarGuru's Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market, high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Now, let's get back to the quiz. Um... Shall I do my next story then? Go on. I, um, well, I'm going to go to this because I think it's very nicely linked to what we're just talking about, which is today, if you've been to Car Dealer, you would have noticed that it's been absolutely taken over by Kazoo. We did discuss last night that we could have done a Car Dealer magazine's bought by Kazoo story as an April Fool, but thought that's probably going to mess up the stock market a little bit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, so well, credit to John who's put together this video and James who uh, presented it and did all the interviews, etc. Um, but there's a not quite feature length, but 30 minute long video all about will Kazoo change car sales forever. And, and what I thought was really interesting in this was sort of towards the end talking about how Kazoo and Cinch and all these other disruptors are pushing towards this online only model. But we're seeing the um, the big dealer groups pushing towards the this omni-channel. Um, and I do think, going back to that, that people do really want to go into a showroom. And I keep mm -hmm. thinking about this every time I buy a car. I'm like, would I buy this just online? And I think you want to know who you're buying from. Mm. But yeah. I don't know if that's just me. No, I would I mean, agree you must, where you are. Yeah. I was where you are, Will, you must. Sorry. <laughs> you go. <laughs> Cut that out. script before the show's done. <laughs> Ask Will, it's fine. <laughs> Don't get too excited. No, I was just going to say, what, what sort of customers do you have in your area? Like, who, what do they want to ask you? What do they want to come in and know about your cars? <laughs> well, we measure 
every month um conquest versus uh, existing customers um like being a suzuki dealer for 25 years you can only sell a swift so many times to a customer and the fancier change and it's nothing personal it's not that you've done anything wrong but you know they've had two or three in the fancy i don't know vw polo for example maybe so we always see our split very very close to 50 50 um so mm. the customers are just well how much is it my payment going to change me um and what am i getting extra because obviously price of cars went up it used to be an easier conversation because you used to say well you'll get extra technology but now it's well you might get you're lucky to get the same technology because obviously the whole chip situation <laughs> then the, the, the newer customers again we've changed brands recently um i think you can sort of split it up a little bit obviously people looking at mg for the first time from the electric point of view obviously it's the, the stereotypic questions uh, how long to charge how far will it go and um, what do i need to do to be able to charge and then after that really probably the third sort of customer is um, you know what's they've done the research and you know the, all the information's out there uh, you know they know what the car's worth because you know you can go and get your car value now on thousands of websites um, they know what the product can do in terms of uh, insurance, uh, fuel economies, uh, spec. You know, we're all getting really switched on with image real 360 videos so that they practically know all the stats that they need. And I think it's just that confidence of, well, what's my warranty? Which we try and make our warranty as transparent as possible on our website so customers know exactly what includes in the warranty. Um, but I think your point before, Becca, about uh, building up that sort of uh, relationship and having the confidence to deal with that business. I was looking for a specific product, um, not a motor vehicle, but very similar uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I went up to see a vehicle that I was looking at and I was convinced I was going to buy it. Um, and then I just thought, I'll have a quick look at the reviews because I've never bought something like this before. And there was two or three negative reviews quite recently um, and it put me off buying it. Um, so then I found a similar product elsewhere with strong reviews and I bought because of the reviews. So. Um, I think it's having it's it's not necessarily the questions about the product. It's just having that rapport and that conversation to feel trust with dealing with that dealership, um, unless they're a, a repeat customer. So I know that doesn't really answer the question as such, but I think it's it's not so much about the questions as such. It's um, having a bit of a relationship and having asking questions to build up the rapport more than anything. You know, what's my warranty? What if it breaks down? Uh, what about servicing? Uh, do I have to bring it back if they're a long distance customer? That that sort of thing. So reassurance mm. of, the, of making the purchase. I think you're so right there. I always think this when um, trying to book ho hotels, which I just compare because you're obviously when you're selling to people far away and in the same way you might be traveling quite far and you want to know what that place is going to be like. Can you trust the pictures, all this sort of stuff? And you start reading the reviews and you're like, Oh, and there are some things that you can only really learn from a business by actually going there and talking to them and checking it out yourself. 100%. So, yeah. Anyway, that was my one. Hmm. Well, I will say it was it was quite interesting to go and visit them. Well, not all of them. I don't know how many there are, 12 or something. <laughs> um, but it yeah. was interesting Funny, in a way that they are different from a traditional car dealer in that they... Yeah, well, it's all very, they'd like to call it an airport lounge. I'm not sure it's an airport lounge, to be honest with you. It's more like a, a slightly right grey handover centre with some cars in it. But, you know, it's, it is a, it, it's a dealership, but also not a dealership at the same time. It's a very strange 
experience to go to oh, one really? that you expect to be sort of pounced upon and that doesn't really happen in quite the same way not well not pounced upon but you expect that somebody is going to come and talk to you and there's just it almost feels like there's no one in half of them because of course if you haven't booked an appointment there's no reason for you to be there you can't walk in and buy a car which is an mm-hmm. odd experience because you know what if you've driven along and you think oh I fancy that BMW that's outside and then to be walk in and be told oh well actually um you need to go home and buy it on the internet or go and use this tablet can I test drive it? Mm, not so much. Just it's odd. Uh, yeah. I think I know a lot of people have said, well, how does it financially stack up? And you could argue that till the, uh, till the cows come home as the same says. But I think it's actually, there's an argument to say it's been good for the industry because they were coming in on the market because it has given us all a push to do more online and have the confidence to sell cars online and give consumers the confidence to buy online from other sources. So, uh, I don't know which store it was, but there was somebody saying that um, about how the industry sort of come forward by five or six years in the last 12 months type of thing. I, I do think that's so true because we didn't have the confidence to sell cars sort of remotely. Um, and I don't think people had the confidence to buy as many remotely. So um, I do think that's probably been a good thing in, in one respect for the industry, for all of us. Mm, that is funnily enough what a lot of our interviewees said it's you know it's pushed them to do more yeah competition can only be a good um, i think i think i need to add that you can listen to this in podcast form if you want mm. to then all you need to do is search for car dealer investigates investigations investigates i think i can't remember which one no my brain doesn't work anymore it's a problem with being pregnant nothing works properly um <laughs> But yeah, you can search for it and you can listen there. Or if you want to see our lovely faces, then you can go over to YouTube and just search for Car Dealer Magazine. And it's there to watch as well. Lovely. Thank over you to you, plug. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I am going to go with a local story. Local to, well, not local to me because I don't live there anymore, but local to the <laughs> spiritual home of Car Dealer Magazine, which is the South Coast. Um and it's, there was a break-in at a dealership in Portsmouth um, a few weeks ago, which was quite dramatic and captured on CCTV. Um, and it was two cars were stolen, one of which was a Fiat 500, and the other one was an MGTF, of all things. Um, anyway, <laughs> the, the latest is that the police have investigated two teenage, uh, investigated and arrested two teenagers aged 15 and 17, um, on suspicion of burglary. So that explains to me why an MGTF and a Fiat 500 went missing as opposed to a Range Rover or whatever. It was obviously a bit of an opportune thing. But anyway, I just yeah. thought it was interesting to see that resurface. Mm. Slightly um, more interesting once you know one of them was 15 and one of them was 17. Mm. Almost impressive, but not. Mm. It's true. Over to you. Um, well, I'm going to go for a similar sort of story, <laughs> which is um, car dealer takes revenge on cyclists who spat on vehicles by drenching them with a bucket of water. So this is a story from uh, Belgium, but it's worth watching the video if you fancy it. There was a guy who cycled past this dealership every day for I don't know how many, how long, but he would spit on the vehicles every day. And I think the car dealer just got sick of it and waited for him and drenched him with a bucket of water. So um, who's in the right here? What do you two think? 
I mean, firstly, that is commitment, spitting on them every day, isn't it? Yeah. And why why I mean, that particular really leadership? Cars. Why wouldn't you just spit on every single car you saw? If I'm assuming it's some oh. sort of like anti-car. Yeah, I assume it's some sort of um, eco issue, but mm. or maybe it's just jealous because then got a bike. <laughs> but yeah, it's a funny story. It's worth going and watching the video. Um, would you have done the same, Will? Well, um, um, wouldn't get involved in that sort of behaviour. But I think uh, obviously somebody else stole the limelight this week, didn't they, with the with physical abuse at a certain event? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, you you know, there's sadly in, in business, you sometimes get things wrong, um, and it's just important that you put it right as quickly as possible and not try and fight it. Um, you know, if you if you know you're in the wrong as a dealership, um, don't create these sort of vendettas with 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 other people and stuff like that i think i'm just i'm always uh keep my head down and just train keep keep on the straight and narrow and make life as easy as possible <laughs> a very sensible answer okay john what else have you got um i'm not doing very well with actual dealer stories here but i was very interested to oh okay good thanks <laughs> i was very <laughs> interested to see the new lotus i don't know how you say it electra electra i think i had this as well uh beaten you to it then mm. well it's quite a radical departure i mean i'm sure i don't need to talk about it that in depth because i'm i think everyone's probably seen it by now um but i thought for a you know on the face of it it looks like a urus or something but actually i've watched a few videos about it and it's a very interesting product in the way that they've done certain things so it is quite different from the average kind of oh let's just make an suv and let's you know like the the urus for example is just a q7 isn't it really it's an audi q7 there's some bits yeah. in it. and it's one hundred and twenty thousand pounds or something <laughs> this is actually designed from the ground up and of course is electric which well everything is isn't it now um but it's got some interesting little features. I mean, there's lots of lots of um, aerodynamic bits and pieces. Like it's got these kind of wind tunnels that go through it and channel the air through the bodywork. I mean, I haven't seen that on an SUV before. Um, and it's got little pop out on the thing that really I really like is it's on the um, wheel arches. It's got kind of pop out lidar sensors for when it goes into I don't want to say autonomous mode, but when it goes into um, driver tech mode it can pop these out rather than just having them stuck on the body all the time which i thought was an homage to pop-up headlights is what i thought about that what's your mm. thoughts big question is oh, does I... it charge on a tesla charger though? <laughs> yeah this is true it will soon i don't know what type of charging um i actually quite like it as a car on its own i know everyone's issue with it is the fact that it's lotus and it's made in china um, and I saw one person tweet, which I thought was very funny, that um, the batteries are going to be charged by Colin Chapman spinning in his grave. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, everyone's got very angry about the fact that it's electric, it's an SUV and it's made in China, but they put a Lotus badge on it. Um, but I think it's a really cool thing. I don't really understand why you can have it as a four seat or a five seat, but I think the interior looks really cool. Um, I don't... I don't love or hate the exterior, but I actually think it's quite a cool piece of design mm. overall. And I can imagine they probably sell quite a lot of them. I've no idea how much it costs, though. Do we know that yet? I think it's in the region of 100,000. They haven't officially said. Mm. Too bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Considering the performance, and what does it say? 0 to 16 
under three seconds, I think I read somewhere. I could have imagined Fair that. Point. But it's 590 something break. So, yeah, mm. sounds about right. But interesting yeah. how much it weighs because that's the big lotus thing, isn't it? Yeah, true. And so, yeah, someone else was saying that you like how much is it going to cost um, in kit car form so you can save the purchase <laughs> tax? Ah, <laughs> uh, lotus legacy. Yeah, I like that story. Would you say, would you buy one, Will? Uh, not in the yellow colour. I'd be. I do think it's nice, to be honest. It's uh, it's something different, isn't it? Um, but I'm sure I could spend my money doing other things. Um, as I say, I'm not really mm. a sports car thing. I'm just happy to take any demo that's got a bit of fuel in on a Friday night. Um, <laughs> so, but you look at it and you just think it is totally different. And you know, if you took the badge off and said who designed this, I think you'd struggle to get many people to say that's a, a Lotus. Um, whereas mm. Porsche, Ferrari, you know, they've kind of got their, their traditional sort of shapes to them and, and sort of uh, traditional um, look and feel to them. So I think you could guess them sort of vehicles, but I just think it's something totally different. Um, I wouldn't pick the yellow, though. I think I'd pick a different colour, but yeah. Me yeah, locals don't really have a design language at the minute, do they? It's just sort of... Yeah. Well, I suppose that's probably a good thing because at least it doesn't look like, you know... A stretched sports car, I don't think, which you could get into and you know into doing, couldn't you? If you wanted your Porsche mm. to look like a nine eleven, it's all too tempting to put the round headlights on it and etc. Exactly. Mm. Um, can okay. I go for my story? Yes. I think, I think this is my last one. I was just trying to work out. Um, so this sort of leads on from a story slightly earlier last week which was about auto trader buying vanarama and then batch actually did an interview with catherine fairs i think it was mm-hmm. looking at john because he would have recorded it Correct. um <laughs> explaining why did they do it and uh, she was saying that they don't um they, they're not trying to disrupt the markets they're just trying to give people more choice um i don't know if people believe them what do you think will I was worried you'd ask this question, so I had a bit of thought when you said, is there any chance you come on the podcast? And I thought, well, I know which story will crop up this week. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, look, um, you know, I can only be open and honest. Um, I've got very, very mixed feelings on on the whole story, if, I, if I'm being totally honest, which I need to be. Um, Auto Trader, you know, they're, they're very, very good at what they do. I know traditionally we've as dealers and independents and users of the site have, have, have whinged about the, the cost, um, but at the end of the day, you get a return on it. So you can sort of, sort of park that bit up. During the pandemic situations, AutoTrader were very fair and went above and beyond with, with elements of, of costs. So I think, you know, you've got to, they've built some very goodwill on the back of that. Um, you look at the stats and reports um, in your dashboards and they give you a lot of information and so much you want to use that information Vanarama on a sort of is a separate business before this buyout. Um, a very, very good product. And, you know, as we were a Mitsubishi dealer, uh, still are as an approved repairer, but um, over the years trying to sell L200, you know, you did cope against Vanarama and you could whinge about it. But the reality was they did a good job. They've made a lot of money and they've built a very, very good platform. Um, you go on about web chat before Becca, and I don't know if you ever used the Vanarama. I don't know if it's still live, but the Vanarama had a web chat which. It was unbelievably clever. Um, you would think you were mm. 
human, the way it was answering questions and building and stacking deals for you. So, you know, the two very, very big players. Now, as a dealer, um, sat again in rural Northumberland, there is that fear of, well, hang on a second, we're funding a trader. You're now capturing data of people that are interested in specific vehicles. Um, so are you going to take me my business out, out of the out of the customer's eyesight? Um, and that is the fear. Um, I'm glad to read the report this morning. Uh, not well, I read it this morning, should I say, but it was done yesterday, I believe. Um, when you published that, I'm not sure whether you published. Um, yeah, I think it was a couple of days ago, maybe. Yeah. Um, but I guess as dealers, what we're probably asking for, and obviously arguably seeing this public now, is probably some reassurance as to what is the plan and sort of some confidence that we will not be affected as dealers. Because, you know, as I said before, there is that suddenly nervousness now that, you know, we're trying to sell certain vehicles and they're trying to sell certain vehicles now. Um, and there is arguably a conflict of interest there now. Um, I hope not. Um, but, you know, I'd be lying if I sat here and said, well, I'm comfortable with this and I'm not worried in the slightest. The flip side of that, though, however, is if if, if Auto Trader were stroke Vanarama to start doing more, well, they're going to have to start doing more leasing to justify the purchase of it. But where's that stock going to come from? If we're sat there with a compound full of vehicles and a customer in our local area wants that specific car and the availability is on their doorstep to collect that car this afternoon or tomorrow, by the time they ship a car from the other side of the country, um, you know, there's a cost element to that. So is there an opportunity for us dealers amongst this as well? Um, so I think there just needs some clarity of what the future plan is. And as dealers and customers of Auto Trader, are we going to benefit from this um, or suffer from this? And I think once they get that message out and clear, um, it answers the question better. But the reality is, I guess I'm sat here unsure of what does this mean to, to Black Shores? It's interesting you mentioned the web chat because I did when I saw the deal I wondered whether part of this was a technology buy because the technology at Vanarama is obviously very good and can you imagine a world where that's AI web chat is used on auto trader so you don't actually have to deal with those customers you just get the deal through that yeah, the yeah. robot has sorted out for you that I could see as a very good positive um, because I've seen lots of you talking about some of the strange messages you get. Um, through auto trader but on the other hand it's very easy to see how it could be very different um and i'm surprised they didn't come out with more at the time because you can see that was going to rock the industry wasn't it yeah absolutely and you know i guess in life depend doesn't matter what industry you're in life's a bit nervous at the moment with everything going on um mm. in, in all situations you know cost of living uh getting source of materials, supply chains. Um, it just, you know, and then you see this and you think, oh no, what, what's next? What's next? And uh, it just feels like every year there's a big battle. Um, but time will tell, I guess. Mm, definitely. But any thoughts, John? I mean, I don't really know enough about it to have too much of an opinion about it, but it does fit into the general wave of, vertical integration that we're just seeing everywhere you know um how i mean the question is how long is it going to be before a company like this buys or invests in a, a dealer group is the question isn't it because it's it's got to be vaguely on the horizon at some stage i'm not saying for the record that autotrader has any plans to buy a dealer group but 
in general, that is just how it, that's the direction everything seems to be going in. You know, as soon as, it's oh, yeah. like, you know, Constellation buying, <laughs> it is Marshall, isn't it? I'm not going crazy. Yeah. I don't have any coffee yet. <laughs> that is, would you have guessed that would happen 10 years ago? I don't think we would have. And yet here we are and everyone's sort of just gone, mm, okay, well, that's big news, but. Mm. Mm. My new theory is that um, either Constellation is going to try and buy Auto Trader or Auto Trader will buy Kazoo or something. Mm. I don't think they really want to, but that would be my, if I was trying to line things up to have the ultimate car selling machine, mm. I'd want to try and line some of those bits up. Because at the end of the day, I can't really see anyone who does it better than Auto Trader actually getting the leads into the business in the first place. Mm. So if that deal happens, I want my commission. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably get a cease and desist letter later. Please <laughs> stop saying wild accusations like this on the podcast. Anyway, moving on swiftly. John, do you have any more stories? Uh, I've got another one, which is another electric car you'll be shocked to hear, which I quite fancy the look at this Kia EV9. Mm. Um, I nearly I, put this in. Yeah, I don't have much to say about it. Apart from the fact that the barn doors definitely won't make it to production. Um, but <laughs> I think Kia is on a bit of a roll with EVs and, you know, more products certainly cannot help. It does also look massive. So I'm not entirely sure how well that's going to fit into our slightly minute road systems. Mm. Here. But it looks good. Yeah. And it's, it's just concept at the moment, though, isn't it? It is. It is. It's very concepty, but looks very, very cool. Mm. but i mean next year but also the other thing is how quickly are kia and hyundai turning cars around at the minute because it feels like you know with the ionic 5 they released it suddenly and everyone went oh that's an exciting looking thing and then it felt like six months later people were driving them around they really you know they don't beat about the bush do they they just get on with it and this is supposed to be on sale within well coming coming to europe next year i mean if mm. i compare that to a certain new Japanese electric car that was on in you know in concept form in 2019 and has only just started to arrive. Mm. They are not messing around, the Koreans, are they? Yeah, I was amazed how many EV6s I've seen out on the road. Um when I did a big drive the other day. Mm. And they look very, very cool. Actually, I think they look better than the pictures in real life. So exciting. I love the look of all the Kia and high-end stuff, high-end-eye stuff at the moment. It's um, very nice. I have to say MG are having it away as well because they are doing really well. Well, as you know, well, they're doing really well-priced, proper range kind of products, aren't they? Like the MG5, everyone seems to kind of, well, that's the new Uber effectively, isn't it? Because what does it do, 200 and something miles? And it's yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, like my, my, my dad, he, he's, uh, he's worked very hard he's, all his life um, and cars is his thing and he's always treated himself to the, the, the nicer end of the model cars. And he he took a, an MG5 and he said that's just the best car he's ever had. And he's now been in an MG5 for the last year and a half, say, uh, whereas traditionally there'd be something with a prestige badge on the driveway. And he said, he's obviously... People are uh, paying high money for that sort of product as well. So he's cashed in on on his prestige car and driving for an MG5 now. And he says, there's just no need for him to go back. He says, I just couldn't go back away from something like this now. Um, but wow. the, the, the Kia that you, yeah, 
on the story there. I keep looking at a product like that and thinking, but where does the towing capacity go with these electric cars, especially again, up in rural Northumberland, you know, there's a lot of equestrian sort of lifestyle. And I'm thinking, who's nobody talks about towing, you know, good, you know, it's all about range, range, range. And I'm sitting there thinking, we've got a lot, a lot of customers who need to tow things. And what's the towing capacity going to be? And how will that affect the range? So uh, I'm really intrigued to see where that will go. And um, I've, I'm showing my age a little bit now. I, I've recently become a member of the caravaning club. Um, and again, I think there's a big opportunity for somebody to sort of play on the, the towing element. But I'm yet to fight to see anyone towing. I've seen, a, obviously, Outlander PHEVs tow. Uh, but really, that's petrol at that point still. Mm. Um, so to see where the electric element goes with the towing capacities. So that's it's one surprising, I'm... isn't it? Because there's so much torque in an in an EV that they wouldn't struggle at all. It's I guess it must just be weight that's the problem. Like they don't want to because I think the new. Hey, R- there might be a lot of tour, but just nobody shouting about it. Well, I can only I've, I read I watched a review recently of the new Aria, the Nissan one, and that is I think the front wheel drive one, whatever you go for, whatever motor, is I think it's something like. 500 or 750 kilos towing capacity which is not a huge amount and then i think it bumps no. up to 1500 for the four-wheel drive uh, which it's not going to set the world alight is it really no no but we'll see what the, the future brings because obviously you look at that and you, again you, and then you think land rover competitor don't you like from the shape of it and you mm. think you know they need some competition and they will get competition going forward i think now because um you know everyone's an electric motor is always going to be an electric motor. I do think it comes down to what your point before was on the Lotus. You know, it's who can get these vehicles the lightest, but obviously keeping the, the structural um, sort of in um, the structure of the vehicle safe enough. Um, so I think that's the win-win. Um, but like any technology, it'll just keep advancing and advancing. And again, a lot of people keep asking me in every conversation in, in public nowadays with people is about electric cars. It's not how's the industry going. What about these electric cars? And especially in our neck of the woods, you know, because it's very rural. And uh, my personal opinion is there's still room for something like hydrogen amongst it, you know, whereas we historically were petrol or diesel, will it become electric or, or hydrogen? And I think that would be a good mix for, for both. But it doesn't seem, again, there doesn't seem to be much talk about hydrogen. No, it's yeah. true. I suppose electric... I do feel like it's coming it? back a little. Sorry. Sorry, go on. I just feel like hydrogen is coming back on the table a bit I I keep it keeps coming up in conversations I'm having with people recently and I do think like you say Will people want a choice still yeah. and the only real option people see is hydrogen so they're like is this going to happen what's the option and I also think when we're seeing a lot of um, investment in the government announced didn't they they're having they're putting in these massive um, charging I don't know what they call them charging hubs is it yeah um, okay. But there's sort of the capacity to do something like that. I know it's not perfect with hydrogen, but it would be interesting to see if there were a few more hydrogen charging stations around the UK, what sort of interest there was in hydrogen cars, if they were sort of more viable. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's mad how things have changed. Um, like this morning, I just got a price through and where I try to put some more vehicle chargers into the into the compound. Um, we've got seven at the moment. Um, and I will look up electrician was down and I said, right, look, this is where I'm going to put the next lot. And then we've had a few issues and he says, you're just not getting enough current into your building now. He says, the, the physical cable coming into your building isn't big enough. Mm. Um, and then we've got a big, 
do this, we can do that. And then he says, but where the fuse board is on the physical wall is next, we're going to shut the door for the workshop. He says, you physically haven't got the room to put any more boards up. Mm. Um, so what we've had, luckily, the way our business is set up, we've, we've got a, a, a compound at the other side of the road. So we've applied uh, and build a power, basically a little substation. So we've got to build our building a little brick cupboard in theory to run a separate power cable in just to power charging points in the compound. Um, and you're thinking, I just want to sell cars. I want to sell MOTs. And I'm sitting now trying to draw up uh, electrical uh, substations for the compound to keep these cars running. And it's just <laughs> investment for the future. And it's something uh, different. But you're sitting there thinking, at what point did this all happen? <laughs> How are we? <laughs> yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? Um, so, Will, do you think we've missed anything this week? No. Um, I think, to be fair, it seems, reading the news, it seems like it's been a steady-ish week compared to, to normal. Uh, I haven't mm. acquisitions this week where you raised any eyebrows apart from, obviously, the auto trade of Anorama thing, but I think that was over a week old. Um, obviously, it's not a co- uh, dealer podcast without a kazoo story. Um, <laughs> or a little mention of Tesla. So, you know, they're the, the three givens each week. But no, I, I didn't say anything. That's... I felt was missed. So do tune in again think... next week when we'll be talking about Tesla, Kazoo, uh, and probably also Trader. Over to you, yeah. <laughs> doing a merger. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Who do you think has won then? Will who had the best stories? I'm I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna pick the Tom Hartley story um, only because I, I do really admire what they have been doing. Um, you know. For me, as a franchise dealer, when things seem a little bit scary or tough, you've got that backup of, of support. Um, you know, when you are yourself as well, you're, it must be at times some, some scary, lonely, lonely moments. So I've never met either of the of the, the Hartley family, but uh, I do admire what they do and, um, you know, credit where credit's due. So and I think that was John's story, wasn't it? So, no, that was my story. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you just want to give it to John, really, don't you? Yeah. So, thank you, Will. I appreciate no that. No worries. It's lovely having you here today. Pleasure. Um, and thank Pleasure. you, thank you, John, for helping out today as well with the stories. No problem. Um, we will be back again next week for another podcast. So don't forget to subscribe and be notified when a new episode is live. If you are listening on Spotify, don't forget to vote for your winner now by swiping up too. And if you want to find out more about any of the stories we've mentioned today, you can click on the links in the show notes below or head over to cardealermagazine.co.uk and scroll down to the podcast section. Thank you again. And until next time, goodbye.